Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. It's a great honor and a great privilege, uh, as always, to share this space with everybody here. I have the honor of being with the executive director of Ta'lif. In the name of God, the most gracious and most merciful, we ask Allah to send peace and blessings upon his beloved prophet and family and companions. Again, I echo to say welcome all of you. I want to talk about something that's really important to many of you in the crowd uh, at some point in your life or you've encountered someone in this, which is talking about convert care or da'wah, what this organization is essentially all about. And uh, I thought it was important to have a moment where we could just have a real conversation for once about this thing. Uh, everyone claims that they do convert clear and they do da'wah. And we hear that all the time. I'm just doing da'wah. Uh, why are you in the club? I'm just doing da'wah. <laughs> it's just a joke, guys. That's not real. It was a joke. But what we want is to have a conversation about comfort care. What does that really mean? When we say that, what do we say? Um, it is. And at the same time, are we really doing it? Right? Is Tadif really doing convert care when it says it? Are other organizations actually doing it? Are Masajid actually doing convert care? You know, it's time to get real with where we're at. At the same time, uh, what I want to do is get a good sense from everyone. Like, where are we in this thing? Right? Um, I'm not a convert. I'm not a convert, but I do identify more in my reality as a convert more than ever, right? In my trajectory as a youth here in America and in the West, right? Um, also, we're doing this thing with Talif where it's like, this is not a plug, but I'm just letting you guys know so you know like where this is coming from for me and why it's weighing heavy on me, or you sense that little intensity that inshallah I'll also change into some jokes and Arbaid knows how I am. But the reality is that at one point, people were like, what the hell is Talif doing? About two years ago, they weren't sure what Talif is doing, right? But to me, it was always like, I know what Talif is doing. Talif has always been a pillar in this essence of convert care. And we built around that and many other people benefited from it. Right, but the least common denominator, if you will, or the most essential pillar of Talif's work has been convert care. But many people miss that, and us right now with Welcome Home Initiative, right, we're trying to bring that to the forefront and to let folks know, like, Welcome Home. There are many people that have come into Talif, and we tell you Welcome Home, but there are many doors to Talif. But the primary door that made Talif what it is was convert care. Um, then we had wellness, then we had inheritors, which is working on youth. Then we had a whole different section come through, which is like seekers, which is folks that have been Muslim like myself my whole life, but want to seek something more. And then others who have not been Muslim, but are not Muslim, and maybe not even trying to become Muslim, but come through the door because they vibe with something that leads them to God, right? But the essence today for me is about that pillar that really made Talif what it is at one point. And everyone's throwing it around there on social media, 
I see it everywhere. I come to this social, you know, gathering for convert care, come to this thing. We're doing a convert care retreat, come to this thing. And in my head, as an executive director, real talk, I have to take a step back and be like, what are we doing? You know, I know that was a mouthful of an intro a bit, but, you know, with you, I'm very comfortable. With you, I'm very comfortable. You know, I can sense that. (laughs) No, um, it's a, it's a, it's a. I mean, the urgency in your delivery is reflective of the importance of the topic, Mm -hmm. right? You know, talking about how we can facilitate the healthy and sustainable embrace of our faith. And although we don't proselytize, I don't like the word proselyte. I don't like the word proselytization. I don't like the word proselyte. It just, you know, it. There's something about the term that seems insincere, something about the term that seems overly formulaic and overly concerned with building the roster That's of right. converts. 100%. Right? Um, people like that, in my experience, I feel like they are in doubt about something. And the more people they can convert to their line of thinking, the more convinced and they the more, assume. The more secure they feel. The, they, the more convinced identity. and more secure they assume they will feel. That's right. Right? That is not dawah, right? This idea that we just want to build the roster of people converting. We're really not concerned about them or their realities or them embracing Dean in a way that's sustainable and growing consistently and meeting them where they are in their realities, but just to fill up the auditorium or just to fill up the conference center, we can give each other uh, a lot of praise and we can, that's not, when I'm close to efforts like that, they actually, like I have a visceral response to those kinds of efforts. Um, But if you're talking about trying to be of assistance to people who are seeking to get closer to God, seeking an active embrace of the way of the Prophet Muhammad والسلام, I don't think there's anything more important for us to be talking about in our community. I agree. You know, in, in fact, some people uh, opine that if our community is not a community focused on da'wah, right, that our being in America is illegitimate. Now, focused on da'wah does not mean we're giving pamphlets and, uh, you know, we're, but in our hearts, we want to represent this religion beautifully and powerfully so that people gain interest in it naturally and organically. And how can we do that through service? How can we do that through being neighborly? How can we do that through being collegial? How can we do that through, that's what Dawa is to me. And I think it's, uh, uh, it's an, it's uh, the absolute bedrock. Yeah, and I would, of, I, I, I would say yeah. there's a distinction. There's a conversation about da'wah, which, by the way, da'wah, we're using the term, but it's like, you know, uh, da'wah, you know, it's like calling. Invitation. It's an invitation, right? You're, you're given an invitation to someone. It doesn't mean that that person has to answer that invitation or answer the call. It means that you put out the invitation, right? Mm-hmm. Um you do that all the time for weddings. Not everyone RSVPs, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're hurt. Sometimes we're not. Thank God they're not coming. I already have 300 people and I, I can't handle this, right? Sometimes we're really happy. But the whole point is it's an invitation. That's one thing. That's da'wah. 
the other thing that I wanted to distinct between the two is that at some point, the da'wah is not they took their shahada and it's done. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a big deal here, right? Some folks, they see that whole event where someone comes in and everyone's excited and this person that's in front of us or to be frank, frank with all of you, and this might be a little controversial for some folks, like in some masajid, maybe not even in the same room if it's a sister. And the brother's giving her shahada in a, in a whole different room. And she, he didn't even witness what she looked like. So on the day of judgment, he could be like, I was really a witness, right? <laughs> but the reality, right, in this is that um, we have to also see da'wah as like a stage. And then there's a whole other stage after that, which is how do you really take care of the converts after that? It's not shahada, thank you very much, Zazakallah khair, we really appreciate you. You made us feel good. We shed tears, we hugged. And then what happens to the brother and sister after that? You know, it's interesting, man. You know, I, I embraced Islam over 20 years ago, man. You know, uh, I was a teenager. I remember you. Yeah, I was a teenager <laughs> when I embraced Islam. And these conversations. I was younger than you. I'm younger than you, right? No, you're not younger than me. Are you sure? No, you're oh, not okay, younger okay. <laughs> These conversations, unfortunately, we weren't even having conversations like this. You know, it would just be good-hearted brothers, good-hearted sisters that just took it upon themselves to look after you, right? No, I don't know, when I embraced Islam, I don't know that there was any institutional effort being made to, to ease and facilitate that process for people embracing Islam. It would just be, you know, an older brother uh, just looking after me. And a lot of the experiences that I had were very difficult, man. Very difficult. Can you share some? I remember once I was participating in this. uh, uh, Some brothers were getting together, spending the night in the masjid. You know, like doing like kind of a retreat in the masjid. And... um, You know, the brother said, uh, I'm making a restaurant run. Do you want something? And I said, yeah, just uh, bring me a burger. He said, you can't eat that. And I was like, Do they put pork in the burgers or something like that? Or, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He said, it's not the Biha Islamia. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, man. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm bringing you some fish, and that's what you're going to eat. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, what is, this, what is this man talking about, man? Right? And I'm eating the fish with, like, just a look of, like, confusion. Like, you know, what, what have I entered here? You know what I'm saying? And um, later on, I kind of learned about this whole thing about, yeah, later on, I learned about this whole thing about differences of opinion concerning meat that you can eat and that you can't eat. But I remember thinking, man, why was this man yelling at me? Why was he so impassioned about something I had no clue concerning? Um, And just like those kinds of issues and the way people were very passionate about them, where your hands were held in prayer. You know, I would pray next to somebody and they would tell me, don't put your hands like this, put your hands like this. It's nice. And I will pray.
Just put them like this. I said, somebody said, just put them like this. You know. You know, the the that's right from that's right my newfound brothers that was really and then for a couple of wise, well-meaning people that explained to me a little bit of what was happening. I might have abandoned not Islam, but the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. I might have said, "Yo, man, I don't know what's wrong with those people, man. They are really I, that's that was too intense for me, right?" But on uh, you know uh, a personal level, and this to that, you know what really affected me, man, as a new Muslim. My, my family was cool with my embracing Islam. I'm mm -hmm. Sectarian rivalry among Muslims. That was cool for you. No, that was, that was hard. That was for hard me. for you. Seeing Muslims talk about each other, like, you know, the person is a deviant. Oh. This person is misguided. And somebody would tell me the same person telling that to me. <laughs> you know? I know he seemed like a nice guy, but he doesn't really know anything about Islam. You know, once somebody told me a joke, and uh, this really like eased the tension and lightened things up a lot for me. He said that there was a man who embraced Islam, and he said that everybody was crowding around him, and they asked him, you know, how do you feel, man, having embraced Islam? What do you? How do you feel? And they said that he said, it's just really good to be with the community of truth. And they said, after his statement, somebody came up and said, you know, not everybody in this community is on the truth. It's really the Muslims in this country. I'm from there. But it's really the Muslims in this country that are really on it. And he said that in his, uh, I guess the joke, you know, continued in his young, enthusiastic zeal, he traveled to that country. And people knew that he was a newcomer, right? And they said, how do you feel? He said, man, it's just good to be with the community of truth. Somebody came to him and said, you know, it's not everybody in this country that's on the truth. Really just people like this messages. <laughs> these are the people really, these are the people really on the truth. So he went to that masjid. They said, man, how, how do you feel? He said, man, it's just good to be with the community of truth. And he said, somebody came and said, you know, it's not everybody at this masjid that's on the truth. It's really just me and the mu'adhan. Me and the person that caused the adhan. And I have some doubts about his aqidah. <laughs> 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 so he, had, he had went from like the ummah to like one person, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And you know, when I embraced Islam, you know, this was like the late 90s. This was before, you know, 9-11 had the practical impact of shifting our focus as a community. 
I think 9-11 in many ways made us better as a community. Mm -hmm. um, it, it made us focus on things that were real, things that were pressing, things that were important. Whereas before that, I mean, you had straight up like an Akita wars, man. The Salafi, the Sufi, the Sunni, the Shi'i. That was like a big uh, thing when I first embraced yeah, Islam. It's interesting that you brought that up because I, I never publicly said that, but I, I, I believe I agree with you. You know, that 9-11 really had a different impact. I was, I was in sophomore year of high school when 9-11 happened. I am older. Yeah, <laughs> sophomore year of high school, right? And I have been in that school for at least a year or so. And it's not a Muslim school. It's here in Chicago. People would know it if I said, but just for the sake of not upsetting anyone, we'll just, we'll just not mention it. But like... I'm there with my classmates. I remember the day it happened. I remember looking at TV. I'm sure all of us have these moments, but I realized, dang, we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do. Well, and you know, what's interesting is that that school, God bless them for what they did. They, they actually, whether it was good or bad or whatever, it was interesting. They put Muslims from that school. So my sister and myself, there was only like five of us. They put us, they put us on a circuit. Hmm. They put us on a circuit. And so at the age of 15, 16, whatever, to talk about, to talk about Islam at brother, at brother Rice, Mother Macaulay, et cetera. So it went from, yo, Ali, are you, are you really Muslim? Or are you what are you really about right wow. at that age? Wow. Right? Wow. And I remember that just, I'm like, what were they thinking making me go up there talking about Islam? Like, why couldn't they have some kind of like real scholar or sheikh? Yeah. But at that age, I was in front of peers talking to them about Islam, well, right? At yeah. Catholic schools. And I don't say this to say like, oh, look what I've done. I'm saying it to say that, look how it drastically changed my situation alone. From one day just chilling in the class to the next day realizing, oh snap, they could actually think I'm, I, has, I actually have yeah. to defend myself in a certain way mm -hmm. or say what I'm not usually. And that's the interesting thing. We think, we think Darwa, uh, whether it's because of politics or whether it's because of the situations we're placing in America or whatever, we think Dawa, for the most part, is saying what we're not, mm. as opposed to authentically saying what we are. Sure. And it's interesting how that conversation shifts. That we 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 end up talking about, oh, oh, oh we're not like this. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't. Oh, no, no, we don't do this. Oh, we're not really like this. Okay, well, what, what really are you? Mm -hmm. and yeah, no, I think that's that's just a sign of uh, being a community that's you know on the defense. That's right. Um, you know when you and I and in and, and, and many ways as a black American, I can identify with that. Mm. You know, sometimes when there is a great deal of negative propaganda being spread and, and, and stereotypes are being fueled about a community uh, and about individuals within those communities, you feel the need to disprove everything that has been said about you. And sometimes you can become so preoccupied That's what I'm talking about. with trying to disprove, trying to show what you aren't, trying to show that you are a peace loving person, trying to show that you are hardworking, trying to show that you aren't lazy, trying to show that you are patriotic, et cetera, et cetera. Or you're not weird. You forget actually mm -hmm. to um, um, show what you authentically are 
according to your own standards, values, beliefs, principles, etc. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a terrible way that um, white supremacy is maintained in this country, and kind of the uh, um, um, the uh, shall I call it a. Uh, the, the like, kind of the self marginalization of you know other communities. You know what's what's really interesting, Albert, is that when when we talk about the prophet, so loud, it's in right, right, the prophet, the last prophet that we believe from the lineage all the way up to Adam, mm -hmm. that you know he his own connection internally to God is what drew people in that he was pointing to God at all times. Mm -hmm. He wasn't pointing to Islam per se. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds controversial, mm -hmm. right? But there are many people that we know, even myself at times, just because I had Islam, it doesn't mean I really had God. Mm, that's powerful, yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, and, I, 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 I recall reading something from uh, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, and he said that the uh, the new shahada. Yeah, I know this. Yeah, there is no Islam <laughs> except Islam, and Muhammad is the messenger of Islam. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know what I'm That's saying? right. So, you know. so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he he, the gravitational pull that he had beyond himself, beyond himself. Like that's why you had people who saw his face and they said. Right? He's not a face of a liar, right? Because he's internally concerned with his relationship with his Lord, right? Mm. So much so that that became a gravitational pull for people, mm. even before he was a messenger outwardly, mm -hmm. right? That's why his community loved him as well. They're like, who the prophet Muhammad? Do he do whatever he want before he was a prophet mm -hmm. in that city? Mm -hmm. Put the black stone up, right? Sure. When they're in disagreement about sure. who to do it. Oh, he, he's going to tell you the truth, right? Even when he goes up on the, on the hill and says, my people, if I tell you that there's an army behind you ready to attack you, would you believe me? They said, of course we believe you. Then believe that I am a prophet. And that's what makes the thing sever, right? But the reality is that he never, he never called to something for himself. Meaning that when somebody comes to you, this is what I mean. When somebody comes to you about Islam, we've all been there, whether we liked it or not. Or whether, you know, whether we were that person coming in to learn about Islam, right? The biggest turnoff, in my opinion, is when that individual makes a conversation about themselves, as opposed to that conversation being about God and the person coming to them in need. Mm -hmm. And we know that in our prophetic nature is that we realize that when we do da'wah, when you say you do da'wah, you almost need to be doing da'wah in a way where you don't even feel like you're doing da'wah at all. Hmm. That you're so authentic in your relationship with your Lord and with the reality of what's happening around you that when people see you, they're like, man, whatever he's on, I want that. Mm -hmm. And you're not pointing to yourself, mm -hmm. but you're pointing to something other than yourself. And the human heart can recognize that. So when folks come up to us, right? Uh, you could cut me off anytime you want. But like when folks come up to us and they're like, I want to learn about Islam. 
I want to learn, well, what is this thing? What is this prayer? What is this? Really, what's happening is the more you remove yourself from the equation and you realize that God is just using you and you really have no, you have no power whether they accept or don't accept. You have no say on what's going to happen to their heart or not. You have all you're there is because God wanted to honor, honor you for that moment to say one thing, which is right? Just doing one thing that the Prophet commanded, which is say or state a verse about me, right? Or state something about me, even if it is a verse or a word. And when you take on that type of reality and that type of sincerity, then that what happens all the time. Without the, you know, without the, hey, you know what I'm talking about. No, I do. Um, I remember once, speaking of da'wah, we used to um, go to Cook County Jail. And uh, a man, uh, Bedruddin from Meshad Da'wah. Meshad Da'wah, that's right. He's a Sudanese uh, uh, immigrant. And he would go to Cook County Jail and he would give, uh, you know, classes, you know, kind of introduction to Islam courses. And there was something particularly moving about seeing this man from East Africa who probably had very little in common with the men that he was ministering to. You know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't, it's not like he had experiences that lined up with their experiences, but he just saw it as his duty to go and speak about Allah to anyone who wanted to learn about Allah. And um, if I'm gonna be like 100% real, uh, I was actually in Cook County Jail when he was coming in and giving down, you know, sometimes I tell a story. I used to go with him to give down. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> you know what I was in Cook County Jail where he would come in to give down. Um, but alhamdulillah, you know, I was, I was, um, you know, uh, story now is going to sound crazy, but I, you know, I had already, you know, uh, studied at the uh, okay. Here comes a mirror with the with the paper, with the paper. Oh, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah. I had to for my for my my residency at uh, twenty six in California. Uh, I had I had already uh, studied Islam formally. You know, um, uh, I had done two years at an Islamic school. I had memorized uh, a pretty good amount of the Quran. And um, when he saw me there, he started crying because I knew him. You know, I was, you know, I was like a practicing Muslim Muslim to have found myself, you know, in the situation in which I found myself. It was um, a six thumbs up, right? It was, so I would, to, you know, condense the story because I was there, 
I would lead the classes. I would lead the classes because you know, he, he struggled a bit with English and I, I definitely felt as though um, that, that bridge that he would have to travel to reach them in their experiences and in their realities was a much shorter travel for me because we were actually in the same situation, myself and these men. Um, and we were very successful uh, at giving da'wah. You know, we would have we had the Islam service every Tuesday and we would divide the room in half and everybody that had embraced Islam would sit on one side of the room. I didn't come up with this. This is what he came up with. And people that had yet to embrace Islam would sit on another side of the room. And at the end of the session, I'm so am, I, am I good? Okay, that's better. Sounds the same to me. That's, that's good. It doesn't sound the same one. Okay, Bismillah. Um, and at the end of the session, he would ask, uh, is there anyone who wants to embrace Islam? And people would embrace Islam. And, you know, I, I wasn't there for a very long time, but maybe 30, 35 people embrace Islam. SubhanAllah. But I remember one day in particular, uh, people were embracing Islam and they were changing sides of the room, but there was one person who didn't embrace Islam. And he was saying to him, you don't want to embrace Islam? You don't want to, you don't want to accept uh, you know, the oneness of Allah and Muhammad as his messenger? You don't want to be saved from the fire? And I felt like he was badgering him. So I said, Bedruddin, leave the man alone. He came he listened respectfully. There's no compulsion in religion. We don't, we're not, you know, we're just talking about our Lord. We're not selling used cars, man. We're not, you know, we're not, we're just talking about Allah, you know, and you know. And he said to me, No, obey the law. No, no. I love these brothers. I want them to know this. And I like he was uh almost like uh he, he just became very emotional. And he started crying, man. Bedruddin started crying. And when this probably 20-something black man saw a man of a different cultural background who barely spoke English standing there weeping for him, he started weeping. It was one of the deepest things I had ever seen in my life, right? He started crying, man, and he embraced Islam. And I remember asking him afterward, what changed your mind? Before you said you were good. He said, man, when I saw the utter sincerity of this man, in that moment, I could see that it wasn't about him, wasn't even about me. He was just expressing um, in a completely unrehearsed way the depth of his devotion to his faith and his devotion to his creator. And it just, it, it moved me. And um, I remember thinking to myself, 
you know, strategically, you might, you know, I don't think it's good to badger people or push people or emotionally guilt people. That's just, that's not my style. But the sincerity that was there, as you were mentioning, that it's not about me. It's not about, you know, filling up the roster with names. It's, this is something that I'm conveying with an urgency that reflects the depth with which I believe in it. People can feel that, man. People can feel that. And that's what that was all about. You know what it made? It does sound better, man. It does sound better. The mic sounds better? It does sound better. You know, one of, one of my teachers said, you want, you want to give da'wah? He said, you want to call people? You want to invite people to this? I didn't say anything. I didn't say yes. Or <laughs> I, I just it's a rhetorical quiet. question. Uh, yeah, it's not. Like, you're not going to say yes. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> he said, learn how to make good tea and feed people. This is true. He said, learn how to make good tea and feed people. This and people think, you know, everything in Tetlif is intentional. Mm. Moroccan mint tea. Tetlif. Let Connecting no pretension go on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> collective. Right, but, but what I'm trying to say, what what am, what am I trying to say here? Huh? Well, we came in for Ramadan, huh? and they had each individual <laughs> date wrapped in plastic. I said, "Tet leaf, let no pretension go unused." No, I'm just kidding. So that's no, all beautiful. It's all beautiful. But you know, I lost train of thought right now. But my my point is, everything is intention. No, it's not even just that. It's like, what do you do when somebody comes to your home? Mm. what do you do when someone comes to your home mm. my mom would kill me if somebody came to my home and i didn't offer them water at the very least or i didn't ask them if they're hungry or i didn't have not even ask forgive me she would there's no need to ask it's it's already happening you know what i'm saying i mean one of the most profound things you know i'm just gonna say this whatever you know, Osama Cannon, right? Yeah, the, the founder of this organization that like few people talk about right now, but Osama Cannon, mm -hmm. right? He had one of the most profound experiences in his life at a friend of his house where this is an Italian friend of his mm -hmm. and his mother is cooking dinner and Osama is sitting there in a the room, okay? And He's waiting on his friend. He's waiting with his friend conversing. And then his friend looked at him and said, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Dinner is served, right? Just give me about 10, 15 minutes. I'll, I'll be back. Wow. And they went and had dinner. And he's just sitting there in the, in the room. To so many people. That is a real reality. That's okay. To us. I would rather chip. I would rather cut my left foot off, right? I would rather give out my firstborn, okay? I would rather just go ahead and just jump off of a cliff than to have someone in my crib, right? Yo, and <laughs> I, I did not think the story was going to end like that. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Like, we have, look, if, if Muslims did anything right, if Muslims did anything right, Hospitality. hospitality bro hospitality. anywhere you go in anyone's home in any place in the world 
you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. And you're going to eat six times, sometimes in one sitting. Wow. You thought you had the main course? They lied to you. I had a brother on the floor. <laughs> hey, that's, <laughs> he's laughing because this happened to him too. But, bro, I had Uncle Rafi. Uncle Rafi. You guys know Uncle Rafi? He's in Chicago. He's from one of the, you know, OGs, OGs. And, you know, people respect him on the streets. They know who he is. He stopped a lot of people from dying. He's one of the biggest proponents of peace amongst. No doubt uh, about it. Amongst neighborhoods in the inner city. No doubt about it. He's done more for people behind the scenes than most people would ever know. No doubt about it. He goes to Morocco. And he is literally on his knees <laughs> he's gonna kill me for saying this he's literally on his knees begging the host okay please stop feeding me <laughs> like please and they just kept they're like yeah yeah no this is not food this is just fruit don't worry have baby and he was like please and he was traumatized <laughs> he was traumatized bro he, you couldn't put a banana in his face for a week i'm not even joking yeah. because he's like you see a banana he's like no i'm straight no i'm, I'm, I'm good i'm good Right, because that's the level of hospitality that we get. We didn't care if you were full. We want to know: Are you going to throw up tomorrow? Right. Oh, <laughs> we want to yeah. know. We want to know why. Because it's the love. It's the connection. It's the thing of saying, like, look, we we honor you. Dawa is a lot like that. I agree. It not much needs to be said. You come into this space, right? The space better smell good. Better not smell like feet. Why? Because when you smell, that's a memory, right? And the Prophet smelled the best naturally, but then he spent one third of his money on good smells. Mm. Why? Because when he passed by or he touched a child, that smell lasts for hours to days. Sometimes somebody's whole lifetime, they knew that the Prophet visited them and the smell never left in the home. Why? It reminds you of the Prophet. Plus, angels love good smells, right. right? Then you come in, you put the shoes somewhere orderly, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not a mess. Your heart can be calm. You're not focused on something that looks crazy. Like, why are these shoes everywhere? Why are people taking off their shoes and putting them right here, right? Uh, orderly, right? Then you come in, you get served tea. Oh, dang, I haven't got served anything in a long time. In the Muslim world, it's quite the opposite. We got used to that, right? But when you go to that story I talked about with Usama, you look at the difference, right? Then your heart is ready to receive a certain message. Why? Because there's no, there's no barriers between, there's no barriers between you. There's no barriers between you and the knowledge given at that point. You're not worried if it's too hot, if it's too cold. You're not worried if you're going to be judged by sitting here or sitting there. You're not worried if you're going to be wearing a hijab or not wearing a hijab. You're not worried if you're wearing shorts or you're not wearing shorts, right? All that stuff allows the heart to just be comfortable, allows the heart to just receive information, you know? Um, It's the simple things. Mm -hmm. It's always been the simple things. You know, my wife, she accepted Islam. Basically, my wife is like, I met my I met, she's going to kill me. I met my wife when I was 15 years old. 15. I'm 35. I'm 35. I've known her more in this world with her presence than without, without right. her presence. Right. I've known her since she was 15 years old. She wasn't Muslim when I first met her. Mm-hmm. 
Greek Orthodox Christian. Greek Orthodox Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm going to repeat it again for y'all that don't know. Greek Orthodox Christian. Eastern Church. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They don't mess around. Very serious. Very serious. She acted and she conducted herself as a Muslim. Mm. Flat out. When I saw her, I'm like, bro, oh, like the only thing that's holding you back from being a Muslim is just saying your shahada, just say your shahada. Sure. Right? But I didn't say sure. that, any of that in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. But she invited me in to sit down next to her in English class. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I was this awkward kid who just came from universal school in Bridgeview for like 10 years. I, I barely sat next to a sister, let alone uh, be invited to sit down next to a girl in a mm -hmm. classroom. Like I was awkward, bro. Mm -hmm. And I sat down. I'm like, all right, cool. And we started talking about things in English class. Then a, a friendship started. And then I'm telling you guys the truth. Like, I'm not going to give you, like, by the way, y'all want to know the biggest dies? Y'all want to know who the biggest dies are <laughs> in America women. right now? Huh? Muslim women. Muslim women. Bro, we get more people enter into Islam. And you can ask Dr. Will Caldwell. You can ask Mike Spice, who's been, they've been doing this for 15 years. You know how many times we get this? Oh, we have a. Uh, there's a there's a friend of ours that just wants to ask you guys a few questions about something. We're like, yeah, okay, no problem. The boyfriend. Yeah, no, but they don't say that. <laughs> we, have, we have a friend, and we're like, Bismillah. Of course. Well, yeah. Of okay. Course. And then after they take the shahada, two weeks later, they're like, oh, you remember? Oh, we're getting married. We're getting married. You want to do our kitab? <laughs> okay, we'll do the kitab. No problem. We'll do the kitab. What, that that's more. That's done more for the Muslim. Uh, uh, da'wah industry <laughs> than any other than any other thing we've come across. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But it's always because of the character of people. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the character. You know, funny thing, man. Funny story. You know, as we're sharing stories and thinking about converting to Islam, when I uh, initially converted to Islam, I was in a very I was in high school, so. To say I was in a serious relationship, that's like a misnomer. How serious can it be? I was in high school, right? But it was as serious as anything I had ever experienced, you know, up until that point. And um, I didn't know anything about, you know, any kind of restrictions in terms of women and men dealing with each other or being in um, secluded space with each other. All of that was very foreign to me. I knew nothing about that. And I tell people all the time, I used to go to Juma with my girlfriend. I would say to her, you know, baby, just wait, just wait right here. I'm going to go in. I'm going to pray two little cycles of prayer. And then I'm going to come back out and we're going to go to lunch. <laughs> I, swear, <laughs> I swear to God. I, you know, I used to sit there and say, yo, just, 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 just. Chill, just wait a minute. I mean, that's chill. probably the reality of most Muslims nowadays. And I life, I said, well, just chill. You know, and I would always say, if you want to come in and listen, that would be even better. And she'd be like, I don't have no headscarf. People gonna be looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, it ain't no big deal. We're straight up, just come on in. It's not a big deal. I mean, I really had no sense that there was anything wrong with what I was doing. In fact, after Juma, I would walk about. All of these new, usually older men that I was, 
you know, uh, befriending, right, as this new convert to Islam, I would introduce them to my girlfriend. Yeah, this is my girlfriend, man. This is one of the brothers that I pray with right here, baby. <laughs> I believe his name is uh, Mustafa. Yeah, Mustafa. Yeah, nice to meet you. It's, it's my girl, man. We've been together for a minute, you know. And brothers just look at me with their eyes raised like, mashallah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, and I, remember, I remember one day I was at the mall and there was a brother named uh, Wafiq and he had a kiosk in the mall selling, you know, perfumed uh, oils right. and, you know, body sprays and stuff like that. And I stopped at his kiosk. I was with my girlfriend and I talked to him for about 45 minutes. Right. And we were talking about different things, man. And he was very polite to me. And he was very polite to her. And I, I, I still remember the impression that mm -hmm. had on me. He was very, very polite to her. You know, uh, she had a few questions about Islam. You know, he answered those questions uh, very skillfully, very thoroughly. I had some questions and he never gave me any indication that there was something inappropriate or something untoward about my relationship. Two weeks later, I'm back in the mall and I see him at his kiosk again. There were no customers around and he had a book open. And I asked him, I said, uh, hey man, salam alaikum. I said, what, what are you, what are you? In fact, I didn't say salam alaikum. I didn't say it like that. I said, assalamu alaikum. You know what I mean? I had no knowledge of the Arabic language. Okay, true I had no knowledge of the Arabic language. Uh, and I just said, uh, hey, salam alaikum. Um, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading a book about enjoining good and, and forbidding evil. So I'm reading a book about recommending uh, that people do good and advising them against doing the wrong thing. And I said, all right, tell me something about it. You know, because I was just a curious kid. I'm like, yo, tell, tell me something about it. He said, well, this business of advising people to do good he said, you have to be very careful about it. You have to know that, you know, you know the person, that you've established some rapport with them, that you've built some trust, that they can trust you. You have to know that, you know, um, the good that you're commanding them to, they understand it. It's kind of going through these conditions. He said, so like, what if I saw a brother doing something that I knew might be harmful to him spiritually, but he had no idea. How would you suggest that I address him? I said, just, just tell him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just tell him. He said, but that, that could hurt his feelings. Right? That could hurt. If I just told him, that might just hurt his feelings. I'm like, give me, give me an example. And so he, he's going through these scenarios. He said, what if I saw a brother taking a drink? Or what if I saw, he said, what if I saw a brother getting really, really close to a woman that he wasn't married to? And I was worried that maybe his closeness with her could, could present some spiritual challenges for him. And he just kind of continued with the conversation. I remember thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I feel attacked. Yeah, no, 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 I did feel attacked. Because he, he, it's not like he said it and looked no, at me. He was like, really wise in the way that he did. Yeah. What if a brother was spending time with a woman? <laughs> and he didn't know that this was wrong. But I knew that. No, he just, he kept the conversation moving, right? 
After that, I, I went and actually asked somebody at the mosque. So what is kind of like dating etiquette, you know, for Muslims? They started laughing. Dating etiquette? It's none. <laughs> I said, what? What? Are you serious, man? Is that a third? So de <laughs> definitely was a hard conversation to have with my girlfriend. And I, I, I went at the conversation exactly like they recommended. I said, well, look, we can get married. She started laughing. Married? I said, well, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a, a big affair with, you know, with a white dress and, you know, 400 guests or something like that. We can just go, you know, me, you, a couple people, you know, it's not. She was like, Will, there's no way I'm going to marry you. I said, oh, man, well, you know, I don't know that we can hang how we've been hanging. It, it, it was a difficult, difficult conversation. Three weeks after that, I saw that brother again. And I said, he said, how are you? And I said, you know, I felt like, you know, uh, my relationship kind of came to an end, man. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little bit sad about that. But um, trying to practice this faith, man. And uh, he started smiling. And he said, uh, I knew you would get it. Mm. I knew you would get it. Mm. You know, the others, they say, that an intelligent person, you don't have to be explicit with them. I'm not saying I'm intelligent, but you don't have to be explicit with them. It's enough to be subtle. It's enough to be subtle and to allow them to get what you're offering, but to get it with some ownership. They, they feel, see, if he had just imposed and pushed, I might have felt like, man, these people are trying to take over my life. That's right. But because he just left something there for me to pursue, I felt like this is a choice that I'm making in the interest of deepening my connection to Allah and deepening, you know, my faith. Yeah, like there's two, I know we got to go to questions, but there's two things that came up to me <coughs> from that. One is he had the wisdom to let go and let God. Yes. He, he had the wisdom to just let go and let God. Yes. Meaning like, I'm not, I'm not going to, everything is not going to happen in this moment. It's a 17-year-old. That's right. Man. Everything's not going to happen in this moment. Mm -hmm. And he, he gave you subtleties and wisdom and love and comfort. And then Allah takes you. Allah. Allah takes you. The other thing is, which we teach here a lot for anybody that's been through like MMP or the Mu'alif Mentorship Program or like uh, any of our training here in the past or present future is low visceral reaction. Yeah, man. It's a low visceral low reaction. Low emotional expressivity. Yes. Important. <laughs> so important. important. You know how many times I've sat in uncomfortable conversations? Mm -hmm. like, sister brother something they come up and they just throw the craziest thing from left field on me right and in that moment if you're like what is it uh, uh, if you just give if you just give this for a second 
That's it. The conversation is done. They, they are judged, right? They feel that they should never come to you. Uh, you can pretty much call it a wrap for a relationship if you had any. And now you're going to have to spend the next at least 25 minutes or so trying to make them comfortable again. That no, it's okay that they can, they can, they can come to you, right? But that ability to sit like Sayyidina Ibrahim in the white hot fire, Mm-hmm. To just sit. Or even, you know, the example of the Prophet والسلام, when the man came to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, inni halaktu. That's right. Ramadan. He said, Oh Messenger of Allah, I am destroyed. <laughs> right? I'm ruined. Me and my wife, we were together during the day in Ramadan. The Prophet والسلام, didn't say, Astaghfirullah. Nor did he say, oh my God, this is really bad. He just said, well, you have to atone for what you did. Just low emotional expressivity, man. That is such an undervalued lesson, right? If someone comes to you, and this is not just for religious leaders or people that work in pastoral care, just among brothers and among sisters, somebody shares something with you, try to prevent yourself from an initial reaction of, what? That's wild. And then you get back in character like, no, 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 no. You know, it, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. <laughs> F- finish telling me. It's too late now. It's too late. <laughs> brother tell you, you know, I, man, I've been, I, you know, I, I start, I had like a, like a, like a, like an arm injury of some kind. And they put me on some, you know, oxycontin. But I ended up getting addicted to these joints. A brother comes and confides in you. Man, I'm addicted to opiates. If you say, what? Stalk for the law. It's after that, there's really no conversation. It's game over. It's, game over. it's like, okay, I, I see I brought something to you that you couldn't handle. On the other hand, if you can just say, subhanAllah, and just keep, li- just listen. Just listen. Hmm. You might be able to offer something constructive or something of value because you've shown that I am able to handle what it is you're conversing with me about. Right? Hmm. Doesn't mean you have to be stoic and emotionless. It's like yesterday, you know, uh, there was a domestic violence situation. The sister said, No, no, you can empathize and show that you're actively listening and that you're concerned about what's being said, but you're not judging anything that's being said. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. What's amazing about the story of the man that came to the Prophet and said that I had sexual relations with my wife during in Ramadan, the the end result of that was so what? So beautiful. He, he, so, so he says this. And so the Prophet, so this, is, this is actually a very funny hadith. It's amazing. He says, um, well, since that happened, you have to, uh, the first thing he says, you have to, you have to find somebody in a state of bondage and pay for their freedom to atone for your sin. The man said, I don't have money. Like, you know, I don't have that kind of money. So then the Prophet said, well, you have to fast. You have to fast two consecutive months. 
And the man said, if me and my wife could make it through one day. Talk about being real in front of someone. Uh, what would give you the impression that we can make it through two months? You know, he's like, my wife and I, we really love each other. But it's not, you know. And when he said that to the prophet, the prophet didn't say, like, you're a deviant. He actually said, hmm, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, that's a, like, hey, he's like, there's no way I'm going to be able to fast every day for 60 days. Like, that's just not going to happen. I can't do that. The prophet said, okay, well, if you can't do that, you have to find uh, 60 poor people and you have to feed them to atone for this sin. The man looked and said, poor people, I'm the poorest person that I know. There's nobody who has less than I do, right? So I, you know, it's not hard for me to find somebody poor. All I have to do is me. The prophet, when he heard this, he laughed, he smiled. And he, he told somebody, bring, bring me a, a saw, bring me a canister of dates. He gave the dates to the man. He said, take these, feed your family, and Allah has forgiven you. Right? Feed your family, is, that's it. What's deep about this hadith, shara'an, in terms of filth, he never asked him anything about his wife. He never even discussed, like, what does she have to do? Does she have to fast? Does she have to? You take this, you share this with your family, Allah has forgiven you. Don't worry about it. Think about the weight that must have been lifted from that man's shoulders. The, the opportunity. He, he began, I mean, look, look, this is, you talk about the heart of a prophet. Look at, look at, the, look at the polarities. The hadith begins, I'm ruined, I'm destroyed. And it ends with him being given charity, being assured that God had forgiven him. Look at that. And that was probably what a, a few minute encounter with the Prophet. A person can go from being hopeless to being a recipient of charity and being told everything is going to be okay. okay. That's dawah. That's dawah. So inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to continue this work. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to serve. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of you to be with us and to benefit. And inshallah, we ask our beloved teacher, Abedullah Evans, to conclude us with a dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the beneficent, the merciful. Wal asr, by the passage of time through the ages, inna l-insana fi khusr, all people are in a perpetual state of loss. Except for those who believe and do good deeds and exhort each other to patience and constancy and truth. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.talifcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.